Oh, hi, everybody. Ezra Levant here. How you doing? It's great to be back here. You know, I uh, I haven't done live streams in a long time. I've been so busy doing stuff. But it's great to get back in this chair at least just once a week. I mean, the news, there couldn't be more of it. Hey, holy mackerel. Um, there's so much I want to get through. But one of the reasons I've been busy is because Rebel News has grown. Um, not just because of the trucker convoy, which was seriously the largest media story we've ever covered. Um, you know, how do you measure traffic? Well, you could see how many people go uh, read your YouTube videos or, or watch your YouTube videos or read your stories, uh, social media impressions, things like that. I tried to tabulate it all up uh, for the month of February, and my uh, estimate, my rough uh, calculations were 400 million impressions, which I think is how many views we would get in an entire year. Normally, we had a year's worth of traffic in a month and Rebel News has grown. In fact, Olivia, can you go to rebelnews.com slash careers? Because we are not done growing yet. We have, I think, a 10 said 53 or 54 people now. And we are looking to hire seven more positions. And I know you want to talk about the news. I get it. You want to talk about the news. But I just want to invite you to join our team first. Can I just whip through some of these? Some of them are technical, some of them are not. Some of them are in Toronto uh, or Edmonton or Ottawa. Some can be anywhere. So um, let's just whip through them. At the very top there, we're hiring a technical director. We may have a, a candidate internally. That's someone who has some particular skills at operating a uh, a piece of hardware called a TriCaster. It's just sort of how we produce our TV shows. So that's a that's a fun media job where you would basically work on, on the shows and the live streams. Um, that's probably the most technical of all the positions. Can you go back to the larger list? Um, yeah, just click back or whatever. And we've got, uh, oh, here's a good one. Alberta legislature reporter. We have to hire someone in Edmonton to cover uh, the Alberta legislature and Alberta provincial politics. So uh, that's a position for someone who would have to be in northern Alberta. Uh, go back. Let's just sk skim through them. We don't need to open them all up, actually. Um, the, the next one is, uh, what do we have the next one there? I just want to whip through them so you don't even have to open them all up. I know, for example, we are hiring... Um, Video editor, editors. We're hiring an in-house litigator. That's a fancy way of saying a free speech lawyer. We're hiring a China affairs reporter. Honestly, we've been looking for that position for about a year. Uh, and we're hiring interns all the time. Anyhow, all together, and we got the Ottawa-based reporter. All together, we've got seven different jobs. So I would like to invite you to seriously consider joining us because... Um, we, you know, sometimes people come to us in a certain corporate kind of way, but a lot of the talent that joins us, joins us, um, they're viewers, they're followers of ours. And then they just say, I, you know, it's like that old uh, commercial. I liked it so much. I bought the company. You know, I, I liked Rebel News so much. I joined the company. And uh, let me invite you to do that. So thank you for letting me talk about housekeeping matters like that. Um, but there is so much news out there. It's unbelievable. Um, I want to start by talking about the truckers, and I know that most of the truckers have sort of left Ottawa, uh, although Danny Bulford, the um, 
uh, ex-RCMP officer who who quit because he didn't want to get jabbed. I, I understand he's going back uh, next week. But um, I want to tell you a, a few things that, that are on my mind about the truckers. Uh, the first is that they've been lied about. Now, I think you probably know that. But the liars came from the government. The lying came from inside the building. The, the people who keep warning you about misinformation and fake news, those liberals, they were the liars. Can we call it the first stat? Yeah, the Blacklocks one. The, the GoFundMe. The, um, yeah, thanks very much. So GoFundMe was the fundraising engine that crowdfunded 10 million bucks for the truckers until they were pressured by the liberals to cancel it. Well, GoFundMe testified. They had executives testify before the Canadian Parliament yesterday. Did you know that? And one of the things they said was that, no, it was not big American interests that were manipulating Canada. In fact, around 90% of the donations and 90% of the donors were Canadians. It is simply a lie, as Trudeau and Mark Mendicino and Christy Freeland said, to say that they were American meddlers. The average gift was small. Nine out of the ten givers were Canadian. Justin Trudeau, Christy Freeland, Mark Mendocino and others, um, David Lametti, the justice minister, they lied about the truckers in order to get emergency powers. They lied. Are you surprised? Second piece of news we've heard in the last week is about something called FinTrack. I don't know if you've ever heard about FinTrack. It's, it's, a, it's a police surveillance of financial transactions. It's allegedly to stop terrorists and drug dealers and other criminals from money laundering. Um, there, there are, you've probably heard of certain rules. For example, if you move more than $10,000 or something, your bank has to uh, report that. I think that's the latest step. But the idea is to try and trace and, and capture uh, illegal funds. And obviously, there is some role for that in the world. We don't want uh, drug dealers or criminals or kidnapping or theft. But um, one of the things that Christian Freeland and David Lametti and Justin Trudeau all said was that they were going to scrutinize this crowdfunding through the lens of terrorist fin fundraising. And that chilled a lot of people because about 100,000 Canadians said, okay, I'll chip into the truckers. 20 bucks, 50 bucks, average gift was about 100 bucks. And they were demonized as terrorists, again, to justify the Emergency Act. But was that true? Well, here's the story, in this case from TNC News, our friends at True North. Convoy donations came from fed up people, not terrorists. And what's the source of that? FinTrack itself. Let me read a little bit. This is a story from our friends at True North. Canada's chief financial uh, intelligence agency has once again shut down claims by Trudeau government, by the Trudeau government, that donations given to the truckers' freedom convoy constituted terrorist fund funding. Blacklock's reporter reported Friday that the Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Center of Canada, nicknamed FinTrack, 
Deputy Director of Intelligence Barry McKillop had declared the money raised for the convoy protest came from people supporting a cause they believed in. Not criminals, not terrorists. What a bizarre, bizarre lie. You know, does that little video play if you click on that and get the volume up there? Can we hear that? So this is the Q&A where you hear McKillop say, no, 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 it's not terrorists. What are you, crazy? What are you, some sort of liberal? Let's see if we can hear the sound there. Yeah, perfect. So this was at a parliamentary committee. Without the elites of GoFundMe, without that, are you able to find out who the donors are, all of those who uh, funded? Thank you so much for your question, Mr. Chair. Uh, 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 certainly, uh, we don't use elites, uh, nor do we speak of elites. Uh, those who donated to that cause uh, did so. But uh, as far as crowdfunding platforms uh, are concerned, unfortunately, they are available to everyone. Anybody can c donate with respect to one like Stripe, uh, well, sh it, certainly there were people who uh, supported the cause before it was declared illegal. So I think that there were people uh, around the world who were fed up with COVID, who were uh, upset uh, and saw the demonstrations against COVID. And I believe that they just wanted to support the cause. Uh, it was their money, their own money. So it wasn't uh, uh, money that... Uh very, very clear, wasn't he? It was their own money. They were just donating the cause. There was no money laundering. But there was one thing he said that I'll take issue with. He said, before the cause was declared illegal. So this was the deputy head of intelligence for FinTrack. He's the spy, really, whose job is to catch... Um, money laundering and things like that. So he had he gave an excellent answer there, but he said one thing I want to challenge. He said before the cause was declared illegal, except in Canada you don't really declare causes illegal. It's not really a thing um, because a cause is something that motivates you, it causes you to care, causes you to act. It's um, it's part of your mind, really. It's part of your heart. It's part of your conscience. It's your freedom of thought, uh, your belief. There actually are no illegal beliefs in Canada. Did you know that? Um, now, certain actions can be made illegal. For example, if you supported a, a terrorist group, if you materially support a terrorist group, if you promote them, if you fund them, if you go join them. Um, but, but you'll notice all of those are action words. Those are verbs. It's not just what's in your heart. You can hold anything in your heart. You can have any cause you care about. Um, and that's not illegal in Canada. So when, when that fellow there, that basically um, financial spy for FinTrack says, most of these people donated before the cause was declared illegal. The cause was actually not declared illegal in any way other than by Trudeau and Lametti and Christopher Freeland demonizing it. Um, 
you know, Trudeau repeatedly said illegal protests. There are no illegal protests in Canada if they're peaceful. I mean, I suppose there are some parking tickets, but a peaceful protest in Canada is uh, the essence of legal. It's, it's so important that we put it in a section of our constitution called fundamental freedoms. If you've ever looked at our constitution, section two is called fundamental freedoms. It's the big ones. Freedom of thought, expression, belief, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of assembly. And that's the fundamental freedom. And then they list other ones later down, like um, the right to vote, right to mobility, right to a fair trial. But those fundamental freedoms, they're so important because the other freedoms are built on them. So the idea that a cause could be declared illegal, that's just not how it works in Canada. Now, I'm not being mad at or mean to that FinTrack guy because he's, he's not an expert in you know, constitutional charter rights. He's an expert in money laundering and terrorism. So he probably just chose a word that popped into his mind without thinking about it too carefully. But, but what we have seen just in what I've shown you here is that 90% of the funds did come from Canada, small donations. And that is, it's so obvious, the money was just people fed up with what was going on. They were donating their own money. They weren't gathering, they weren't bundling terrorist money. Very, very, um, and this is all coming out after the defamation, you know. By the time truth laces up its boots, the lie has run around the whole world. I want to show you one more thing about Tamara Litch. I've never met or spoken with Tamara Litch, but she is, she can credibly be claimed to be sort of the mama bear of the trucker convoy. She's the one who set up the first GoFundMe that really went viral. She would do inspirational Facebook videos. And um, she was really the, I, I'm not sure if I would call her the organizer of the, because um, I think it was sort of, sell, it was a spontaneous order. I don't, I don't think it was like a highly regimented, highly controlled thing. But um, do we have the video of her being arrested on the street? Can you find that quickly? Like, she's just such a peaceful lady. She's a Métis woman from Medicine Hat, Alberta. And, you know, wouldn't hurt a fly. I don't think she's done a violent thing in her life. Um, and there she was, just walking at night on the snowy streets of Ottawa. And she was just arrested on the street. Do we have that vid? Um, just picked up on the street. And it reminded me of, of police states where people just disappear. They go for a walk and then they get snatched up and they disappear. Um, yeah, let's just take a quick look. Oh boy. So you're in the place. Okay. Let's ask you back up, please. Just back up, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And me. Tomorrow. Hold the line. Hold the line. 
officer, you got to take me too. Stay back. Okay. I hope we got recordings happening. That's the Merrill East week there. And I'm Sean. Okay, Danny. I got a question for you. Um, why was she arrested in that manner? They knew where she was. Why didn't they ask her to just present to the police station? That's a small question. The bigger question is, why was she handcuffed? Is she a threat to herself or others? Is she violent? I mean, other than to humiliate her. Now, that was a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> uh, she's still in jail. Now, did you hear when she was walking away, she said, hold the line. And, and her friends who were recording said, hold the line. It was sort of like a, like a, a team cheer. Hold the line was what they were saying. Hold the line. Not break the law or shoot someone or revolution or socialismo o muerte. It was just hold the line, which, which just basically means stand strong. You know, um, you know, just for a second, I remember it's a little anecdote. You know, I was um, I used to be a lawyer a long time ago when I was called to the bar. Uh, Buzz McClung, Nellie McClung's grandson, was the judge who was swearing me in. And uh, his job was to sign the little law society thing. And he but instead of just signing, I've got it in my office. I should bring it in and show it one day. He. Instead of just signing, you know, a judge just signs, you're a lawyer now. Like, it's a little, it's a swearing in. He didn't just do that. He said, stand firm, Ezra. Like, he wrote all across my parchment. Stand firm, Ezra. I should show it to you. It's just a, it was just a go get him, boy. Hold the line. Stand firm. I should get it. I, I'm not going to get up and get it now, but I'll do it. I'll show you another time. I, I mean, I, I think it's sort of cool. I think it's fun that he took such liberty. He was a judge on the Alberta Court of Appeal at the time. Uh, like I say, Nellie McClung's grandson, one of the famous five suffragettes. Um, it's just a saying, hold the line. But because she said hold the line, a judge who was Trudeau's friend, Judge Bourgeois is her name, who ran as a liberal in the 2011 elections and Trudeau campaigned with her, threw her in prison without bail because, in part, she said, hold the line, which the judge said, oh, you're inciting mischief. No, it's, it's, it's just a saying. It's just like when Buzz McClung wrote, stand firm, Ezra, hold fast, keep it up. Don't give in. Oh, prison. Prison. So she was in jail, I think, for 12 days until she had her bail hearing heard uh, two days ago. Yeah, judge keeping Freedom Convoy organizer in jail previously received high praise from Trudeau. But that's not even the point. Trudeau can praise or uh, defame who he likes. It's that she was a liberal candidate for Tr with Trudeau. Uh, she ran in 2011. It's not that Trudeau praised her. It's that she swore loyalty to the liberals. Yeah, flashback. Justin Trudeau expresses support for Julie Bourgeois, failed liberal candidate in 2011. Bourgeois, a judge, just denied Freedom Convoy organizer Tamara Litch her bail. Yeah, let's watch that if we can. Let's just take a quick look at that video there.
It sounds like you got two versions going at the same time. Sounds like you got one embedded on the website, one blown up. Anyways, what you saw there was Trudeau praising this judge for being a great liberal candidate, and then she returned the favor. She should have recused herself. That was two weeks ago. On Wednesday, they had a review or an appeal of the bail conditions. I have never in my life heard of anyone who has been jailed for inciting mischief <laughs> and that inciting mischief or counseling mischief, whatever it's called. And, and the factual basis for that was, hold the line. Okay, man, you hold the line. Okay, hold the line. All right. Hold the line. Hold the line. I'm making finger guns. Don't arrest me for the finger guns. I just said, hold the line. You know what bail is? Bail, bail is, do you keep someone in jail until their trial? So someone's arrested. Do you keep them in jail until their trial or do you let them go on the promise to come back? Sometimes you have to put a lot of money uh, in the court. Sometimes you have to ha surrender your passport. It depends on three main things. Traditionally, the most important is, will you come back? So I, I don't think Tamara Litch was going to run away from court. I think she was, I mean, they could pick her up any time. Um, by contrast, for example, example, Jeffrey Epstein was denied bail because he had private jets, multiple passports, you know, enormous means, homes in many countries. So he's obviously a flight risk. Second test, are you a, a risk? Are you a danger to the public? Tamara Litch isn't a danger to anyone. And the third is, you know, um, the justice system in, in good repute. There was no reason to keep her in jail. She's not going to flee. She's not a danger. She said, hold the line. People in Canada who are accused of murder are routinely let out on bail. Sometimes they have to give up their passport, like I say. People are, are, who are on bail for rape and then rape again. That's, that's, that's not even rare in Canada. What's extremely rare is someone charged with inciting mischief. She didn't even cause any mischief. She just said, hold the line. So go back to that last headline you had there, because that's what I was working up to. So she was jailed, denied bail indefinitely, because she said, hold the line. So she had a hearing two days ago. Convoy organizer, let me just get that headline. Tamara Litch to remain in jail at least five more days. Uh, Litch denied bail February 22nd, judge to decide on appeal on Monday. So she, she had this second hearing on Wednesday. And the judge said, all right, thanks, everybody. But you see, I'm super busy. So, you know, I just got a few things I got to do. So even though we're done the hearing on Wednesday, I need Thursday and Friday, that's today, and I need Saturday and I need Sunday, and I need Monday to really think it over because I'm just so busy, you guys. So, hey, sweetheart, is it okay if you stay in prison for five more days? Just because I, I got a few things, I got to pick up my dry cleaning and, you know, I've had this haircut appointment for a while. And then there's that 
thing I got to do and then the kids. Okay, so so you're in prison longer than any Canadian in history has ever been jailed for inciting <laughs> mischief. Oh, well, my God, throw the book at her. Um, you were arrested and handcuffed. Oh, and by the way, she was brought into that courtroom in leg irons, in ankle, ankle handcuffs, leg irons. You know, I've seen that a few times in my life. It's shocking to see. It's typically for people who are enormous and violent or a risk of violence. And it's so they don't run away. It's so they don't like like it's it's shocking to see a man brought in. And it's almost always men brought in in leg irons because you can't run. Right. You, you, you just sort of shot. You would be shuffling. Why was Tamara Litch brought in in leg irons? Why was she arrested and handcuffed in the first place? Why did this ju- judge decide that, oh, you know, okay, we've had, the, we've had the review, and boy, your lawyer did a really great job, but um, guys, I, I just won't be able to get around to this, because I've got a bunch of more important things to do, so can you stay in prison for five more days until I get around to, to telling you if I think that you should be bailed or not? It is absolutely true that this woman is a political prisoner, and it is absolutely true that if you cross Justin Trudeau, this is what will happen to you. And it's funny because I mentioned the, the, the three grounds. It used to just be two grounds. Are you a flight risk, as in are you going to run away? Are you a danger? And they added the third one, basically. I forget the exact wording. And so you, you hold, would it bring the justice system into disrepute? Keeping this peaceful woman in prison for coming up on a month now, frankly, better part of a month, brings the judicial system into disrepute. The fact that that first judge, Trudeau's bestie, didn't recuse herself, that brings the justice system into disrepute. And isn't it, though? Isn't it, though? Hmm. I don't know if you can find it. I tweeted the other day, the Alberta Court of Queen's Bench put out an announcement saying that they don't care what the rules are. They don't care what the public health officer says. They don't care what the science is. They're going to keep their mask mandate on for everyone who goes to court. They just decided because apparently Alberta's judges are also Alberta's doctors, or at least they know better than Alberta's doctors, as if masks worked in the first place. But the court announced, I don't know if you can find it, probably not. Um, if you, let me see, I can probably find it. Uh, I use the word recluse. Anyways, I can't, I can't find it quickly. Here we go. I'll just send it to you. Oh, you got it. I said, so the judges, yeah, thanks. You found that really quickly. The judges said, Court attendance is often compulsory, even for vulnerable segments of the population. Consequently, Alberta's courts are maintaining access restrictions, mandatory face masking, social distancing, courtroom capacity limits, and vaccination policies. Just, just forever, I guess. They just love it. They love, you know that case, you know, a lot of court has been done by Zoom or Skype or whatever in the last two years. Did I don't know if you can find this quickly. Here's a Google challenge for you. There was an Ontario judge. It's too funny. It's too funny. There was an Ontario judge who went down to the Caribbean 
had, you know, in your Zoom background, you can choose like a fake background. He would like choose like a court, but he was in the Caribbean ruling on cases in Canada. Can you find that news story? Oh my God. They love it. They love it. They get to, you know, I'm, I'm wearing pants right now, but you wouldn't know, right? Like I'm wearing shorts, am I wearing pants? Ontario judge presided over cases remotely from the Caribbean. Superior Court blames an oversight. Yeah, sure. Oversight is he loves being at the beach. It would be like he would have <laughs> he would have his robe on top, but his swimming suit underneath, and uh, he would have <coughs> the fake backdrop that he was in court. Yeah, they love the lockdown. They don't have to go into court, or if they do, everyone has to be obedient and on one knee and. Um, you know, with, with masks. And they've just decided, and here's what I wrote in reply. I said, there is no scientific basis for this. This is a political statement, a superstition, really. It's a group of old, scared, reclusive elites showing just how disconnected they are from society. And it's a signal that the courts will never give a fair hearing to those challenging the laws. And that's my, my real point. Who are judges? They're old. Sometimes people complain that judges are men, judges are white, whatever. That's just the function of them being old. If you're a judge and you're 70 or 65, that means you went to law school 40, 50 years ago. There just weren't that many women in law school. And now there are more women than men in law school. Minorities, new immigrants, whatever. 50 years ago, the demographic complexion of Canada was different. So if you're complaining, why aren't there more of this minority or that minority on the bench? It's because judges are typically old. That's why. It's no secret. Uh, soon that won't even be the case. Like I say, uh, more than half of medical schools, more than half of law schools are women. Now, whether or not they continue in the profession is up to them. I mean, many women um, drop out of those professions because they choose to have a family instead or they work per time. But put aside the race and the religion and the gender, that's irrelevant to me. The age is what's relevant to me. Judges are old. And what is it about being old and the virus? Well, that's the thing. This virus has done very, is a very little risk to young, healthy people. It's just a fact. The people who are most at risk from the virus are old and to be candid fat and people with, with serious underlying conditions. So... Old, fat people. Gee, that, does that sound like a judge to you? Yeah. So you've got this group of old, fat people who are terrified, who are compliant rule followers by nature. They're judges. They're going to be the most panicky people in the entire society. And they, if they go out, they go out to fancy, pantsy places. They go out to their friends' places. They go out to the country club. They're not going to gyms to work out. They're not going to clubs with young people. They're not going to, you know, they're not out. They're not mixing with severely normal people, certainly not the working class. So you've got the, these Zoom judges, including that one guy who went down to the Caribbean, saying, oh, we'd better not. Get back to normal. We're going to keep this insane superstition um, crisis going forever because we sort of like it. And we're also the, the afraidest people in society. And my point is, if you go to court to challenge any of these health laws, do you have a chance? The judges have just signaled together like a pack 
that they're afraid and they don't care what the what the public health officer says. They don't care what the CDC says. They don't care that it's over. They're just afraid. Yeah, good luck. Good luck getting a fair day in court there, eh? Unbelievable. Um, well, let's see what else is cooking. I just, um, literally while I'm sitting here, I just, someone sent me something that I think is interesting. Olivia, I'm going to send it to you by email. I just literally right now saw a news story from Ohio. Everybody know Ohio? Resolution introduced in Ohio legislature urges Canada to be placed on religious liberty watch list. Isn't that interesting? That goes to what I'm saying about these crazy, terrified judges, especially in Alberta, where they arrest again and again, and Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky, where they arrested his brother, David Pavlovsky, a couple days ago. Do you have that email? There we go. Resolution introduced in Ohio legislature urges Canada to be placed on religious liberty watch list. Ohio state representatives have taken note of the abuses of religious liberty in Canada, the, re- the resolution says. By John Brown of Fox News. State legislators introduced a resolution in the Ohio House of Representatives on Tuesday, urging the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedoms to add Canada to its special watch list. As a Canadian pastor remains jailed, they're talking about Arthur Pavlovsky. The resolution, which was introduced by Republican state representatives Reggie Stolfus and Timothy Ginter, was co-sponsored by 11 of their colleagues. Isn't that interesting? Look at that. Hey, I got a question for you. Why has no, why has not a single legislator in Canada done that? Like not one. Like you've got, what, 87 MLAs in Alberta going from memory? Oh, look, and they have a little, they embed a rebel tweet in that Fox News story. That's fun, if you scroll down a bit more. Um, No, but back to my point. So you've got, how many MPs? Is it 338? And how many Alberta MLAs going from memory 87? And there's been Christians arrested in other places, Manitoba, Ontario, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, trying to remember which one. These different provincial legislatures and our federal parliament, I just mentioned the MPs, there's also more than 100 senators. You add that all up, 300, 450, 500. You're coming up 700, 800 politicians in Canada, elected legislators. And I haven't even talked about mayors and city councilors. Has a single one. Put a motion forward like you just saw there in the Ohio State Legislature. There's one. There's a single one. Well, not that I know of. If you know of one, let me know and we'll toot that horn. But wouldn't you say it's an unhealthy thing for a country like Canada that claims to believe in rights and freedoms, that claims to believe in liberties, wouldn't you say it's sort of awful that... um, Americans care more about our civil liberties than we do. Like that, like that, there's something deeply wrong with our political class and our so-called conservative parties. You know, I, I'll, I haven't had a chance to chew it over yet, but you might recall 
um, in December, Rebel News applied for a mortgage uh, to buy a building in um, uh, in Calgary. We so a commercial mortgage and uh, applied with the Royal Bank, and they said they loved it. Great application. Rebel News was very strong, um, but uh, they said no for political reasons. Yeah. I recorded the call with a banker because I knew I would never get it in writing. He said the Royal Bank rejected us because we're conservative. And I, and I pressed him on it. And he, and he told me several times in several ways. There was not a single Canadian conservative politician who spoke out against that. I'm not asking for them to be my friends. I'm not asking for them to go on a date. I'm not asking for them to say we love Rebel News and Ezra Levant's our best friend. But you don't see a problem with banks bringing in a China-style social credit system where they can ban people that they don't like? Is there, is there a YouTube down? Or did we log off? We logged off because we were getting into spicy territory. Fair enough. Uh, hello to our friends on Rumble, and I'm sure we got friends on Super U. Where are we streaming? Getter. Getter, Super U, Odyssey, and Rumble. Hi, everybody. Um don't you think it's weird that not a single Canadian conservative said, hey, yeah, maybe we ought to, maybe we ought to, st-. And, and that was in December, wouldn't you know it, in February, in comes Trudeau and Christian Freeland and David Lametti and Mark Mendocino for seizing and freezing bank accounts. Yeah, maybe it's a bit of a problem. Um, and I tell you that because a few days ago, the ranking Republican on the House Financial Services Committee um, he actually made an issue out of it. He, um, it's going to dig that up. Haven't released this yet. He uh, he wrote a letter to the head of the Federal Reserve, saying, um, "I'm just going to blow my nose. Pardon me." Saying, "I demand to know why banks are politically injecting politics." into mortgages, and he made specific reference, specific reference to my case. Isn't that my case, the the case of Rebel News? And I say again, and the reason I mentioned that, I I haven't really done the uh, the story on that yet, but my point is no Canadian cared. No Canadian senator, no Canadian, and maybe say, oh, well, they're afraid of this or that. Well, I'm not impressed. Um, I'm going to see if I can find this and, and send it to you, Olivia, to show. And and I think the fact that these Republicans are not afraid to, to do a battle. I'm going to I'm going to send you this letter right now. Sorry to keep you waiting. Olivia, this I'm going to break a little news here. Just going to send it to you. Sorry to make you wait. Okay, just click send. So I just sent you a letter from the. Now, in Canada, we might not use this term. Remember, there's Democrats and Republicans down there, and do you control the majority or the minority of the Congress? And that makes a big difference because if you control the Congress, then you control the committees. You control their agenda. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of powers you have, and that's called the chair of the committee. 
But the minority party, um, the leader of the minority party is called the ranking member. But they're still fairly powerful. Plus, you got to realize that the Congress changes hands. It goes back and forth, right? And I think most polls suggest that Congress is going to flip back to the Republicans in November. So this ranking member, Patrick McHenry is his name, who is really mad about politicization of banks, he's going to be the boss of the banking committee in like just over six months. He's a very powerful guy. Now, I've never met him, never talked to him, never like he's just, I don't even, I'd have to Google what state he's from. He cares more about stopping China-style social credit banking in Canada than any Canadian conservative. Don't you think that's a problem? Like, don't you think it's a problem that that some guys in the Ohio state legislature care more about religious freedom in Canada than Canadian politicians do? Do you think there's a problem? Did you get that email? Let's throw it up on the screen as big as possible. So you can see right at the top there, The United States House of Representatives Committee on Financial Services. Perfect. Yeah. So it sent, do you see it sent to the chair of the Federal Reserve? Dear Chairman Powell, the Obama administration launched Operation Choke Point to apply pressure on financial institutions to cut off financial services to certain licensed, legally operating industries. After years of congressional investigation and civil litigation, the record with respect to Operation Choke Point is clear. Political appointees and bureaucrats of the Justice Department and several independent federal agencies use threats to force banks to terminate their relationships with politically disfavored businesses. What remains unclear is whether those agencies have taken steps to ensure the federal government cannot abuse its authority to regulate the financial sector in other ways. So they're talking about Operation Choke Point. Skip the next letter, if you please. And then the next paragraph, scroll down. So, okay, that's, that's the end of the first page. But look at the second page. This is where it gets really exciting, if you can grab that second page. So he's talking about... When Obama said, we're going to cut off banking to people we don't like, and it was a terrible thing, and they really pressured the banks. I really don't think that some of the banks would have done that on their own, but most banks are in the business of banking. And, um, you know, they don't want to just bank for Republicans or Democrats. They want everyone's banking, don't you think? Like, it would be like a restaurant saying, we only serve Democrats or we only serve Republicans. Well, everybody eats. Um, let me know when you got that second page, because, yeah, here we go. Look at this. This is the second page of the letter. I got to do a news story on this one day. There are, however, other forms of leverage and financial surveillance that the federal government can use to chill constitutionally protected activities. For example, in Canada, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau declared a national emergency and instructed banks and other financial services providers to freeze accounts associated with any person attending an illegal protest or providing supplies to demonstrators. Pursuant to the Prime Minister's emergency order, any suspicious transactions must also be reported to the Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Center of Canada, FinTrack. And then skip, and then look at the, just skip a little bit, and then go to the fourth, yeah. Now look at this, this is the paragraph they refer to us. Again, recent events in Canada show what can happen absent such protections. According to an audio recording, a representative for Royal Bank of Canada, RBC, told a longstanding customer, that's me, who was seeking a mortgage, that's Rebel, 
Quote, the bank has been, you know, trying to pry away from certain, you know, clients because of their controversial nature. The RBC representative subsequently identified the customer's conservative media organization and companies involved in oil and gas exploration as subject to the bank's new policy to scrutinize politically sensitive applications. And then go to the third page, the final page, if you can. So, so anyway, that's, that's the last reference to me and us. But the, the ranking member of the U.S. House Financial Services Committee, so this is not just some backbench, as we would say, congressman. This is the top dog in the Republicans who will likely be the chairman in the fall. He's saying to the boss of the American banking system, chairman of the Federal Reserve, are banks using politics to, to set up, really, a Chinese-style social credit system? And then on his last page, he basically has some questions. Has the agency reviewed and clarified as appropriate um, existing policy and guidance pertaining to the provision and termination of banking services? Um, does the agency coordinate with other... So basically, are you doing this? Are you letting this happen? Does the agency have existing policies and guidance pertaining to freezing or otherwise restricting access to the assets and accounts of U.S. citizens? And that's a great point. Uh, thanks very much, Libby. I don't need to say anymore. Because remember what Trudeau's emergencies order said. It said any bank doing business in Canada had to obey. Canadian banks, and we know what they are. But any foreign bank registered to do business in Canada, there were literally dozens, there's about three dozen um, American banks that are registered to do business in Canada. Obviously, the biggest ones, right? You've probably heard of Wells Fargo or, or Citibank. Uh, you might even have a credit card with them. Um, bank of them. I, I don't even know what they're all called. I, but, uh, but there's literally dozens of American banks that do business in Canada. And if you remember what the Trudeau's Emergencies Act order said, any foreign bank had to do this too. Now, Trudeau said, hey, guys, don't worry. I'm going to pass an order that you can't be sued for this. <clears throat> so we're going to seize and freeze your customers' money. But hey, 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 don't worry about it. <clears throat> that might feel a little banana republicish, but we'll just put the banana... A republic part one degree further by saying you can't even sue us for this. Ha <laughs> suckers. Except for that doesn't work when your bank's in America. Justin Trudeau can stop you from suing a bank in Canada when they seize your money for him. But he can't tell American banks, hey, guys, go ahead and seize money of your customers who gave 20 bucks to the truckers. And don't worry. It's OK. Follow my instructions and we won't let you sue them. That's not how it works in America. If you've got an American bank with an American customer and that American bank is registered to do business in Canada and Trudeau says you've got to turn over all your customers who gave money to the truckers, that's the law in Canada. That was the law under the Emergencies Act. But it clearly violates a number of laws in the United States, including privacy and the First Amendment. Customers are allowed to have political opinions without some foreign dictators saying, seize that money. So what a terrible position to be in. You're an American bank operating in both countries. Frankly, you're a Canadian bank operating in both countries because the Royal Bank of Canada, RBC Bank, as it's called in the U.S., RBC Bank has customers in, in Florida, too. R, RBC Bank, are they going to turn in their American customers? So my point, and thank you for uh, letting me indulge it uh, a bit there, was that the world is noticing that we are becoming less free. 
The world is noticing that we're becoming less free with regards to Christians and religious liberty. That's at Ohio legislature. The world is noticing that we're politicizing banking and financial services in a way that's never been done in North America before. The world is afraid that that Canadian virus of martial law is seeping elsewhere. That's what that House Financial Services letter was about. It's about saying to the boss of the American banks, the head of the Federal Reserve, are you making sure this Trudeau banana republicness isn't seeping into our country? That's what that was about. What do you think of that? Um, Well, thanks for letting me go on there. I really haven't touched a lot of things. Should we try and get some uh, chats in? Where are you posted chats? Should you put that in Slack or something? Okay, I'm going to open up Slack and I'll just go to live stream. Guys, I'm a little bit out of touch because I haven't done the live stream a lot. Um, All right, let's see what we got here. I see lots of interesting stories. I'm just scrolling down for the the rumble rants, right? Did you put any in there? A direct message to me. Okay, thanks. So here, let me read some of these. Private property is the nickname. Seven bucks. Thank you. Ezra, if you had to vote for one party right now, would you vote for the new blue party or the Ontario party? Uh, you have met both leaders. Um, let me try and remember who they are. I think Derek Sloan is the leader of the Ontario Party, and Jim Carahelios is the leader of the New Blue Party. Is that right? Um, it's a tough call because neither of them have a chance to win. Um, there's just no way I could possibly ever vote for Doug Ford. On the other hand, the alternatives, the mainstream alternatives of the liberals and the NDP are just as depraved. I do not know what I would do. I suppose voting for one of those two minor parties, although I thought, um, yeah, I, I, you know what? It's it's funny you asked me that question because that's a question without an answer. That's uh, like saying, what's the square root of minus one? Um, <clears throat> there's no answer to it. But I want to tell you some good news because I speak like a, like seven words of French. But those seven words, and of course, menu is one of them. Um, I'm watching what's happening in Quebec. There's a new party out there called the Quebec Conservative Party. Have you ever heard of it? I bet you haven't. It's, it's run by a friend of ours who used to appear on this show from time to time named Eric Duhem, longtime journalist, radio host. I met him when I was a kid working for Preston Manning in Parliament. And he was a kid uh, working for Gilles Deceptes, the leader of the Bloc Québécois. Can you believe it? I was just, well, yeah, there he is. Look at that guy. Participez au vrai changement. Participate in real change. Joignez-vous. Join, uh, join with me and the Conservative Party of Quebec. And that's the leader there, Eric Duhem. He's about my age, but obviously much more handsome. Or, or I'll leave that to you to decide. Um, very good talker. He's an author, very good thinker. And he's polling in the double digits. And he's attracting candidates 
almost every week who are really well known. He's taking candidates from other parties, too. I think he's ahead. I, I haven't seen polling in the last few weeks, but I, I follow his account on Twitter, even though it's in French mainly. Um, very much opposed to lockdownism. Very much small C conservative, you know, in terms of size of government. And I've, if I recall, he's in third place in the polls, which doesn't sound like much. But there's the Coalition Avenir Quebec, the CAC party, which is the government. Then there's the, the liberals, the Parti Québécois, there's Quebec Solidaire. So there's like four parties. He is, I think, already in third place. And he's just a great operator, a hard worker, very strategic, very principled, tapping into pandemic rage, upstart Quebec Conservative Party leader surges in the polls. And what's the date on this one here? Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago. And what are the polls they show? Let's just take a look, see there. The second most popular party. I said the third. Oh, my God, he's in second place? Duhem was elected leader of the party last April. The party nearly dead not long ago. Now counts 52,000 members? More than any other provincial party in Quebec? Holy moly. To his detractors, to him, a former shock jock. He's not a shock jock. I've known him for 30 years. He is not a shock jock. He's so sensitive. I mean, he has strong opinion. Shock jock. That's such a stupid thing to say. It's like he's Howard Stern or something. He's, he is a thoughtful, conscientious, kind man. Like he's so, his, he's got so many good manners. People who know Duham told CBC he's a brilliant political strategist with a particular gift for communicating. That's true. Former Liberal Deputy Premier Natalie Normando worked with Duham as his co-host on Quebec City radio station FM 93. Eric Duham, when he became a leader last year, found himself with a party that was unknown in Quebec with barely any members, Normando told CBC in an interview. Yeah, there he is there in this. He's great. Um, and yeah, I won't spend too much time, but let me tell you, in closing... Eric Duhem took a party that was at New Blue, True Blue Ontario or Ontario party levels. Like it was empty. It was nothing. It was like an empty structure. And I didn't know that they had 52,000 members being the largest in Quebec. And I didn't know they were in second place. You heard me when I was going from memory. I said they were in third place. Eric Duhem has, and he's done all that in a year. About a year, I think he might win. He's been careful. He's been he's been an opponent to the curfew, an opponent to the lockdownism, but he hasn't seemed wild about it. I think he, at the very least, will be the next leader of the opposition in Quebec, and he could well be the next premier. And I'm delighted to see it. And I tell you that because he's earned it. And I do not know why Jim Carahelios or Derek Sloan or whoever is leading these parties has not been able to capture the moment 
in the same way that Eric has. And you know what? Eric is going to do amazing. Um, boy, I had so many things I was going to talk about. I got this whole list of stories we were going to cover, including Christia Freeland. And it's almost, it's almost not a good idea. And, and, and I wanted to talk also about the um, big pharma talking about what he calls gene therapy. We've got three minutes left. Why don't we do that gene therapy video because we're not on YouTube anymore? Let me tell you what we're talking about here. The Pfizer, BioNTech, um, and the Moderna vaccine. They're a new technology called mRNA. Maybe you've heard of, M of RNA. You've probably heard of DNA. It's related. It's, it's a genetic term. And I'm not going to try to explain how it works, but let me just tell you, it's a genetic technology that has not been used before. And that's one reason I think some people are a little nervous about it, because you've got a new gene technology, you've never used it before, and you're just sort of skipping straight ahead into it when there's still five years more testing that the FDA has ordered. And when the companies who are making it have been granted uh, legal uh, indemnification, you can't sue them, legal, legal immunity. That's a little terrifying. And some people say, well, that's gene therapy. You're changing my genes. What are you doing? I don't want this to be done to me. And anyone who said that was called a liar, a conspiracy theorist, a fake news misinformer, and was promptly banned <clears throat> from most social media. Um which makes it incredible to hear the head of the pharmaceuticals division at Bayer, who's on their management board, give this speech. So this isn't some critic or skeptic. This is not Naomi Wolf or Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or some anti-vaxxer. This is a big pharma bro exec. And listen to how he talks about gene therapy. Now, we're not on YouTube, because if we put this on YouTube, we'd be nuked in a second. Take a look at this. Uh, we're really taking that leap, uh, us as a company, buyer, uh, in cell and gene therapy, which to me is one of these examples where really we're going to make a difference, hopefully, uh, moving forward. There's some, uh, ultimately, the, uh, the mRNA vaccines uh, are an example for that uh, cell and gene therapy. I always like to say, if we had surveyed two years ago, uh, in the public, would you be willing to take a, a gene, th gene or cell therapy and inject it into your body? We would have probably had a 95% refusal rate. I think uh, this pandemic has also opened many people's eyes to, to innovation in the way that uh, was maybe not possible before. Uh, we're really taking that leap. Uh, so basically they're saying, um, had we said, hey guys, we got some gene therapy for you, 95% of people would have said, yeah, um, pass. Uh, I'll let you try that out on lab rats, not on me. But he said, well, what a great opportunity we have because we got this into a couple billion arms. And uh, what, a, what a great opportunity. If you had said those things, you would be banned. What do you call it when Big Pharma literally admits it? Now, I want to show this. Can you go to Aaron Jin's tweet? Because if you try it, because I found that on Twitter. I saw that on Twitter. But you, Twitter has a warning label under it. 
and it will not let you retweet it. You'll, you can tweet it about it with a comment, but if you look at how this appears on Twitter, yeah, so click on that image if you please. So you see Aaron Jin is the guy, and you just watch that video, right? It's 41 seconds. You just watch the whole thing. And Aaron says, the head of pharma at Bayer proudly proclaims the COVID mRNA vaccine is gene therapy and that misleading the public was useful to create widespread adoption. Would you say that's an accurate summary of what he said? I don't think he said the word misleading. That's an implication. That's an interpretation. But I'm pretty sure that's as, I mean, other than the word misleading, like the farmer guy didn't say, ha we misled them. He just implied that they misled them, that they didn't mention it. Now, can you put it back up? Because I want to show, look at what's underneath it. So Twitter puts underneath it that this is misleading. And if you try and click retweet on the original, this is a photograph of the original, it won't let you do it. And here's my problem in life now. I used to be fairly trusting. I mean, I was always skeptical, but I wasn't paranoid. If you ask me, do I trust journalists, I'd say, well, you know, even journalists on the other side, if they're, if they're sort of reputable, they won't lie because, you know, they'll get a bad reputation. So I would probably even trust things in, in left or center media, especially the New York Times or, or the Globe and Mail, who, even though I disagree with their editorial outlook, they're so big and they're so established and they're reputable and they're authoritative and they're good people, even if I disagree with them, they're not going to lie. And if you ask me about doctors, I'd say, well, a doctor might be a little out of date on certain things, but they're not going to lie. And a court, you know, I might disagree with them or agree with them, but they're not going to lie. And academics, you know, they might be a little bit in their own planet, but they're not going to lie. But is there a single institution that has not smashed its own reputation in the last two years? And here's my problem. Now, look at Twitter. I mean, just... You see it. You see how they're lying to you in real time. And here's my problem. How do I take the media at face value on anything now, including, for example, this war in Iraq, sorry, in Ukraine and, and Russia? How do I know what, what to trust now? You just heard that Bayer executive say, ha we got people to take gene therapy that 95% of them would never have done. Woohoo! And then when you write that, Twitter says, no, that's misleading. Like, we're seeing you lying to us in real time about something that touches our own lives and health. How can we trust you on anything? That's the problem I have. How can I trust the media on anything? My friends, it's 105. I got to go. Great to be back with you. Two more chats. I'm going to blow my nose again. I'm sorry about that. Cindy Mc888 says, thank you, Ezra. That's nice, Cindy. Appreciate that. And Jay Johnston says, hi, Ezra, can you guys look up Diagalon? Diagalon is a fictional country conjured up by Jeremy McKenzie. Ottawa is claiming him to be a threat to Canada, but in fact, he's a patriot to the max. I mean, I, I, it sounds goofy. Um, 
you know, there were a number of feds in the trucker movement. I identified uh, the line Canada as a group of feds about a year ago when I started seeing them showing up with their prefab signs in Toronto out of the blue, people who had never been there. There are feds, absolutely. I mean, look at how insane the government has has done seizing money, freezing bank accounts, bringing in a martial law. Of course, they're going to do simpler things like having agents provocateurs and having undercover feds there. I, I don't know if I'm going to spend time trying to dig around to see if Diagonal is fake or not or if uh, Jeremy McKenzie is a fed or not. I know that Pat King uh, is a disreputable fed. And you can see that his damage to the movement, because he would say absurd things in obscure Facebook posts that would be left like little Easter eggs. And then the government war rooms would go through and collect, oh, look, here's Pat King talking about bullets and talking about violence. And let's now use that to discredit 100,000 truckers. So Pat King was a fed from long ago, and we, we spotted him a year ago here. Um, I don't think I'm going to focus on the 1% of this movement that's clearly feds, informants, agents, or just people who are a little bit nutty. I think I'm going to focus on the 99% who really saved this country. The truckers really saved this country. The truckers accomplished more in two years than any other political force. We're not free yet by any means. The cross-border long-haul trucking mandate is still in effect. The no-fly zone for unvaxxed people is still in effect. Uh, thousands of people were fired for not being vaxxed. Millions of people were pressured into being vaxxed. There's still ridiculous mask mandates out there. Yes, 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 yes. The jailing pastors in Alberta, yes. But whatever liberalization we have had over the last month is because of the truckers. And look, and we started the show with how they've been smeared. It's 107. I'm going to say goodbye. Um, I'll be slightly more organized next time. I'll have my show at 8 p.m. today. I'm going to talk more about this pharmacy guy on my show tonight. So tune in if you can. If you don't know about my show, every eight, day at 8 p.m., I do a TV-style show. I do a monologue, and then I interview a guest. And then I read my fan mail and my hate mail. So it's sort of fun. Uh, if you go to rebelnewsplus.com, you could subscribe to it. It's eight bucks a month. But in addition to my daily show, you also get weekly shows, including by Sheila Gunn-Reed, David Menzies, Andrew Chapados, and Nat and Kat, who have their own show. So there's actually four weekly shows in my daily show. That's a lot of stuff for eight bucks a month, which is half the price of Netflix. And um, the reason we need that dose is because we don't take any money from Trudeau. And I think it shows. So I'm going to say goodbye to you now. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to those folks who made uh, uh, rumble rants or, or other tips or super chats. And uh, have a great weekend, everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.